You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Take your seats. Thank you so much, musicians, singers, for leading us this morning. Well, good morning. Let me extend my welcome to you here in the room and to you joining us online. Great to be with you, worshipping you worshiping with you today. Well, it's been great uh, to sing, and in the last few weeks, it's been so good, hasn't it, to focus on being set apart. We've enjoyed the last two weeks such a precious sense of God's presence as we have been reminded about this need to be consecrated, to be a set-apart people. There's been quite a few people who have spoken to us in the last couple of weeks and said, oh, we need to stay here longer. Two weeks isn't enough. The Lord is doing something. And we certainly get a sense of the Lord at work, a kind of reset, if you like, after the last couple of years. But this morning is not part three of Set Apart. But we are certainly going to be building on where we have been in the last two Sunday mornings. If you want a title, then today's title is, Are We All Right? Are We All Right? And I'm going to take us to 1 Peter 2, actually back to some of the verses where we were two weeks ago, talking of a royal priesthood where Martin began us this morning, but also these verses that speak of the cornerstone that we've just sung about. And these verses are going to come up on the screen. This is 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. I'm actually going to jump in at verse 6 because that's what we've just been singing about, and then we're going to come back to the start in a moment. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is where we were two weeks ago, once but now. And it's been brilliant this week to get a glimpse of what our life groups have been discussing uh, since that time, sharing together in groups of once but now. It's been very powerful and uh, poignant to read what people have sent in. That's where we were two weeks ago. If we just jump back up to verse four, this is where these verses begin. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are also a kind of stone and we're being built together. Ephesians 2.22 puts it like this. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So yeah, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation, the reference point, the source for all that follows. But we too, being built into a holy nation, a royal priesthood, we are living stones 
being built together into a spiritual house that God will dwell in by his Holy Spirit. And in this spiritual house, as these verses say, we offer spiritual sacrifices. And that's a bit where we were last week in Romans 12, the proper worship, the offering that we bring of our bodies as living sacrifices. We are living stones being built together. Now, partly this is why it's been such a challenge, hasn't it? To be in a function of, uh, in a, to be functioning in a season of social distancing because proximity is required to be built together. And some distancing has been enforced upon us. Now, by the grace of God, he has brought us through that season, it seems. And perhaps we're more conscious than ever of how precious it is to be able to gather together, to gather together with people we love, to gather together with brothers and sisters where we can pray, where we can worship, where we can meet with God together. Perhaps it's become more apparent to us than ever. The church is not the building. The church is the people. It is the connected, gathered people of God because as Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. It's become so precious to us. He is building us together. He comes and dwells into that place in between us. It's like he dwells in the connections in between people. I heard it said once that God dwells in the spaces between people, in our relationships, if you like, which means the connections and the connectedness, the relating and the relationships are really important because they are God's dwelling place. In fact, this is so important to God our sense of connection, the relationships that we have and the state they are in, that Jesus talks about it. There's some verses in Matthew 5, Jesus was talking actually about the need for us to deal not just with the extremes of our behavior and things like murder, but also the attitudes of our heart, like anger. And he says this in verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Wow. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled. Now we all know, hopefully, that our worship to God is precious. What you came and brought this morning, your offering of praise and thanks, the adoration that you pour out before him. That's why the worship band, they exhort us to bring more, to give more, because it's precious to God when we bring an offering. When we bring something maybe of the finance that he has given to us, or maybe just in our ordinary everyday lives as we are serving him with what we are and what we have. These are all offerings that we bring to God. They are of value to him. And yet, valuable as they are, these are the words of Jesus. He's saying, if you're bringing something to God, if you're doing something for God, but if you remember that you've got a brother or sister that has something against you, stop right there. Stop right there with the offering. Go and sort it out if you can. It may be your fault, it may be theirs. You may not feel that you have an issue with them at all. It may be their issue, they may have something against you. Jesus says, go, do what you can to be reconciled to them. Put it right first, then come back and get on with what you're bringing to God. Now, if you need to leave the room right now, I won't stop you. 
I won't stop you, although I do think actually the rest of the message may help you if you just hang on. And if you need to leave the room right now to go and attend to your children or go to the toilet, we won't make any assumptions about what you're doing or why you're leaving the room. The reality of these words, go on first and be reconciled, this is uncomfortable teaching. Or is it just me that finds this uncomfortable? I would rather it said, uh, forget about those others and focus on Jesus. I would like it if it said, block out the haters, receive the love of Jesus. That's what we want it to say when we come into the house of God, but that isn't what it says. It says, first go and be reconciled. In a world where everyone is fallen, everyone carries some expression of brokenness, everyone is hurt to some degree, and everyone without exception is inherently selfish, which means this is hard. And these words, these are some of the words of the Bible. They're not hard because we can't understand them. They're hard because we do understand them and they leave us very little room for maneuver. Because so often, isn't it true that we misunderstand one another? We speak out of turn, we speak insensitively, we lack grace, we judge one another. Mostly unintentionally, we hurt and offend one another and often, we do so without even realizing it, and we carry on. Sometimes we do realize something's not quite right with some people, and we may know why, we may not know why, but we tend to just then keep a safe distance from them. We don't go to a Zoom prayer meeting just in case we get put in a breakout room with them. Yeah, you know it. We know it too. If we bump into them, we keep things superficial so that it looks all right on the surface, but we know deep down that we're not all right. And we know it because we know we don't want to bump into them. We know it because we're avoiding prayer because of them. We know it and God knows it because he dwells in the space between us. And the relationship is ruptured to some degree. And if we were to ask the question, are we all right? We'd have to answer, no, no, we're not. But the words of Jesus say to us, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and remember someone's got something against you, leave the gift Go first and be reconciled, and then come back and bring your offering to the Lord. You know, it's so easy for us to offend one another. It's so easy to take offense, to not be all right, but then to leave it that way just because it seems easier. A number of years ago now, it was before I had children, so that is a long time ago now, I had a friend who, for the sake of this message, I'm gonna call her Catherine. Now, I'd shared a house with Catherine as a student, we then both got married, we lived not far from each other, we were in the same church, same life group, and one evening we were talking, we were having a conversation about um, bedtimes, tiredness, those kinds of things. Now, I was sharing in that conversation that I found it hard to get enough sleep because Martin was a night owl, he remains a night owl, going to bed is not something that he likes to do, he comes alive at night. This is, this is a problem when you live with someone whose body clock works differently to yours. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, you got it. So I was just talking about that. And my friend responded to me in those moments with slight incredulity that I had not managed to talk to my husband about this and sort it out. It was a fair comment, really. But in that moment, although Catherine was my friend and she cared for me, in the response that she gave, I felt judged. I felt misunderstood. I felt she was judging my marriage, my relationship, and I was probably oversensitive, but either way, it hurt. Now, the conversation moved on, but the feeling of being hurt didn't. 
I don't like feeling hurt. I guess you don't either. And I did what many of us do somewhere in our heart. I decided that I wasn't going to let Catherine hurt me again in that way. And so I just withdrew a little from that friendship. I just decided that I was going to make sure I didn't make myself vulnerable to her again. And I closed off my heart to her. And that's how things stayed. I don't even know exactly how long it was for, but I'm ashamed to say I think it was a number of months. I didn't do at all what Jesus said. And then one day, the Holy Spirit came, and it was as though he kind of just pointed at the part of my heart that I had closed off and said, what's going on here? What's, what's happening here? Holy Spirit does that sometimes. What's, what's happening here? I realized that I hadn't guarded my heart. And there was a part of my heart now that was closed and that wasn't right with my sister in Christ who had used to be my friend. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes and does that, he doesn't just want us to see what's there. He wants us to deal with what is there. It's why he comes and sometimes points things out to us. And I knew that he doesn't give up, so I needed to get on and do something as soon as possible. But as far as I knew, Catherine didn't even know that I'd offended her. I didn't want to just turn up on her doorstep and start complaining about her behavior several months previously. That wouldn't have been any more godly a way of moving forward. It probably would have also seemed quite ridiculous. So I did drop round to Catherine's house, and she was surprised to see me without warning. Do you know what? I felt really nervous. I felt really silly. My palms and my hands were sweaty because was, I, didn't, I was so uncomfortable. And I just blurted out, Catherine, I need to ask you to forgive me because I took offense at something you said to me a while ago, and my heart has not been right to you, and I'm sorry. We talked about the initial conversation. Thankfully, she remembered it. And uh, she apologized for what she'd said. You hadn't meant to harm me. It maybe not come out the best. We were reconciled. It took 20 minutes. Several months, it took 20 minutes. The week that followed, I found out that she was going to be my life group leader. I was really glad that we were all right. <laughs> and our friendship could then grow again and continue to do so over the years that followed, stronger than before. And in fact, when we moved to Coventry, she remained a close friend who'd come and visit often. We have to seek to deal with offense. We have to seek to be reconciled, to deal with hurts in the right way and to keep our hearts soft and to keep them open. This helps us to keep our hearts open to one another, but then also to God. It's where we build healthy relationships that are a place where God can dwell. Now, I've told this bit of the story from this pulpit before a number of years ago, but since then, in the first lockdown in 2020, Catherine passed away suddenly. It was shocking and painful. She left a husband, two sons, and a daughter the same ages as mine. You know, when a friend dies, it's always painful. It's always painful. I didn't expect her to go home yet, but I am deeply grateful that I knew we were all right. I knew we were all right. There was no regret. There was nothing unsaid, nothing unresolved. I'm grateful for the wisdom of God's ways. I know not all situations are as simple as that one. Relationships so often, they're messy, they're complicated, they can be hard to sort out. Sometimes there's years of stuff that's gone on rather than a one-off trivial comment. And sometimes it may be too late to be able to speak to the person to put it right. We may not be able to unpick everything that has gone on, but we still need to do what we can to allow God to help us to get our hearts right. We may need help from a counselor or just someone who we can talk to. 
But Jesus calls us where we can to be reconciled, to make sure we're all right as of first importance. You know, if we live this way, we'll build trust with people. As long as we do it with gentleness and respect and humility, if we're willing to apologize for our part and where we've not been godly, people will learn to trust us and grow to feel safe. But of course, how we do this, how we go about this is really important. And Jesus speaks into this too. You know, the world really has no idea how to conduct itself when people offend them. In fact, so often what the world does and what we can find ourselves doing is when we're hurt or offended, we immediately go and find somebody to tell. I go and tell my friend or my friends. I put it on the group chat. Or if my friend's in the group chat, I make a new group chat with everyone except my friend so that I can post about how bad they've been. How terrible, how shocking. Can you believe what they said? We may post something on social media or one way or another, we share it, we spread it. We pass it on. We let others know how toxic that other person has been. But the words of Jesus point us to a very different way. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 22. This is what Jesus says. If your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Wow. Now, first, just let me apologize here for anyone who works for HMRC, derogatory reference to tax collectors. If we can just move on from that, but I do apologize. Don't, be, don't stumble. Let's keep going. Because Jesus here is showing us, telling us, what we should do. He says, go to them. If someone offends you, if someone sins against you, go to them, talk to them, just them, just between the two of you. Tell them what they've done. Tell them what they did or said and how it made you feel. If it was a long time ago and you've held a grudge against them, then also go and apologize that you've done that because you shouldn't have held a grudge. You should have spoken to them sooner. Most likely, they'll apologize. Now, it is possible they may be a little stubborn. Some people in the world are. Perhaps you know some of them. Perhaps you live with them. Perhaps you work with them. I'm sure it's none of us here in the room, but sometimes people won't listen or they won't take it on board. Then Jesus says, then ask someone to go with you to help you have the conversation. Don't tell them more than you need to. Don't ask them to have the conversation for you, but ask them to come with you. And if that doesn't work, he says, then tell it to the church. If you've got someone to come with you and it still hasn't got through to them, then come and tell myself or Martin, Donald, Tony, Ryan, one of the elders. But the first thing we're going to say to you is, have you spoken to them directly yourself? Have you gone to them, just the two of you, to try and talk about this? You know, what happens if we don't do this is, you know, I 
let's say Kath, I can't believe that Kath would say something rude to me, but let's imagine she did because she was having a bad day and something comes out wrong and then she goes home and or she leaves the building, she gets in her car and I talked to Jack and I said, you won't believe what Kath Adkins said to me today. Oh, I'm staggered. In fact, could you pray for me, Jack, because this has really upset me. And then it doesn't look like I'm gossiping because I'm asking for prayer, so that's okay, isn't it? But really, I'm just passing it on and I'm just saying, Jack, she was so rude. She was there. Anyway, Jack then goes home. Kath got in her car but then thought, oh, I think that came out a bit wrong. I might just go back and apologize and check we're all right. She comes back in and she says, Esther, I'm so sorry I said that. I think that came out a bit wrong. I was like, don't worry, Kath. I know it's been a difficult week. I forgive you. She goes home. She's all right. I go home. I'm all right. Jack is not all right. <laughs> Jack has got an issue with Kath. He doesn't know that Kath's apologized. Kath doesn't know that I passed it on to Jack, so she doesn't know that Jack needs to know that she's sorry. So we're all right, but Jack's not all right. And instead of us being able to discuss and listen and say sorry and forgive and move on and be reconciled, the issue has been spread through the body. It's like a crack that spreads through the wall of living stones. One bit gets repaired and recovered, but where it got passed on remains broken down. Now, it's true that this does mean we have to be willing to have slightly uncomfortable conversations. You know, some people uh, don't mind or seem to enjoy uncomfortable or confrontational conversations, but most of us are normal which means we don't really enjoy that kind of stuff. But you know, it doesn't have to be that awkward. It doesn't have to be difficult. We just have to be willing to say, are we all right? Do I need to apologize for anything? And the truth is that all meaningful friendships and relationships sometimes have to have slightly awkward or uncomfortable conversations where we actually just check in and say, are we okay? Are we relationally all right? And you know if somebody comes to you and says that, are we all right? If we are not, please don't say, yeah, I'm fine. Please tell them what they've done that has annoyed you or frustrated them because they can't read your mind. And we have to be able to say that to one another. You know, one of the things that came to the fore after the murder of George Floyd in 2020 was that there was pain and offense that were carried by many who didn't feel like they were able to bring that pain on that offense and deal with it in a godly way within the church context. And it has been and it continues to be so important for us that we seek to change that. Because it's so important that we're able to speak openly about anything that causes us hurt or offends us so that we can apologize to one another, so we can work through it, so we can be all right with one another, so we can learn and grow together and understand and love one another. So I wonder if I can just make it really clear that if you should experience anything that causes pain that seems to have a racial context to it, if you feel able to, please do talk to the person, just the two of you if you feel able to, although I know that isn't straightforward. And if you need help to have that conversation, then please speak to any member of the staff team that you might feel comfortable to approach. And if you're still not sure how to move forward with it, well, you can email rj at clmchurch.co.uk. RJ just stands for racial justice. It's an email that's picked up by Donald, who's one of our elders, who's Sierra Leonean, who will help you navigate a way forward. We don't want any offense, any kind of offense, to remain undealt with and unapologized for here in the body, because we must 
deal with offense. We must deal with hurt. We should go and seek to be reconciled, to do what we can to make sure we're all right. We, we must be willing to apologize when we've hurt someone, even if we didn't mean to, even if it was accidental, even if we can't understand why the person has got upset. We can still say sorry that what we did or said caused them upset. And of course, we must be willing to forgive when someone else apologizes to us. It's Ephesians 4:32, forgive each other as in Christ God forgave you. The words of Jesus, Luke 6, Matthew 6, forgive as you have been forgiven. And of course, the flip side of that is that if we don't forgive, we ourselves will not be forgiven. Forgiving and apologizing, they're hard. You try to teach a child to say sorry, they'll do everything to try and avoid it. They'll say it in a funny voice, they'll do it, they'll walk away. We hate it because it cuts across our pride. We have to admit that we didn't do things how we should have done, that we were wrong, that we misunderstood, that we weren't as kind or as gentle maybe as we should have been. Pride is alive in all of us and it hates to be wrong. In fact, pride occupies itself with the question, how can I make sure that I'm right? And that is in all of us at some level driving us in how we engage with one another. But humility, which is what Jesus modeled and what he calls us to do, humility occupies itself with a very different question. And the question of humility is, are we all right? Are we all right? Choosing humility is critical to making any relationship work. Will I make us being all right more important than me being right. If you're married and you've never realized that that is a thing, please write it down and attend to it in your marriage. It makes all the difference. If you're both trying to be right, we will not be all right. And of course, forgiveness is a whole other matter for another day and another service. sermon. 70 times seven, or 77 times we should forgive, or 70 times seven, which I think is 490. That's extreme forgiveness. And we're called to do it and exercise. Of course, that doesn't mean we should keep putting ourselves back into a situation where we can be repeatedly hurt without any ground rules or without any boundaries or without any requests for conduct to change. Forgiveness does not mean staying in an abusive situation. You should talk to someone if you're in a situation like that. We can all learn and grow in our boundaries. Brilliant book by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, if that would be helpful to you. But the key thing is Jesus calls us to forgive to let go of the need and the desire for some sort of payback or the right to hold on to a sense of indebtedness that someone has because of what they did. You know, if we will not let go of things that have been done to us, to the sense of indebtedness, it, it, that ties us to what happened. It ties us to something that caused us pain. It prevents us from fully moving on. You know, one of the most powerful, or many of the most powerful strongholds in people's lives are connected to apology and forgiveness. Sin we have not confessed or said sorry for, or wrongs that we refuse to forgive and let go of, and they cut off the flow of grace through our lives. For several years, as a young woman, I had a difficult relationship with a member of my family. There had been lots of difficult and confrontational conversations, lots of misunderstanding and hurt on both sides. It had caused a lot of pain. By working hard, we'd managed to get to a kind of functional relationship with the, within the family so that things were a bit better, but nothing was really dealt with or resolved. 
And then I came to a season where I could step into another level of opportunity and responsibility within the church. I was asked to, to bring leadership to a small group. And I said yes, and as soon as I did that, the Holy Spirit came and said to me, you need to apologize to that family member. My initial response was outrage at Holy Spirit. It's like, apologize, apologize. This was at its, at its worst, a, a two-way thing. It was both sides. And since they were older than me, then surely they were more responsible and they should apologize first. It wasn't a very godly response. You can see why you needed to work in me. Additionally, you know, at times the relationship had felt to me intimidating and controlling and I, I was afraid if I speak about this, is, good, is that going to bring all of that back up again? But again, I knew Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and I knew that he wouldn't give up. So I decided to get on with it as soon as possible. And the next time we were together, I said, would it be possible for me to have a word with you alone? Again, I, I felt sick. My heart was pounding. I simply said to them, I know there was a season where things were very difficult between us, and I just want to say that I'm sorry for my part in that. And I waited for what seemed like an age. You know, sometimes time, I'm sure, actually slows down. It was one of those. But then when they spoke, they did the same. They simply apologized for their part in what had been difficult. We hugged. We didn't debrief on every conversation we'd had. We, we couldn't have done that. It had been over a long period of time. But we brought apology, repentance, some closure. There was room for reconciliation and forgiveness. And we move to a place where we are all right. And we're able to build forward with some strength of relationship and grow in genuine love for one another, which in a previous season didn't really seem possible. But then grace could flow. Forgiveness, apology, saying sorry, is the outworking of humility in our lives. Now, we may find it hard to find the strength to do this, Often you hear people say, I can't find it in myself to forgive. And it's true, sometimes we can't. But friends, we don't have to find it in ourselves because if we can't find it in ourselves, we can find it in Jesus. We can ask him to help us, to help us to want to apologize, to help us to want to forgive, and then to move forward into doing it. This is the one who hung on the cross and said of the people who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he is with us. It is his spirit living in us, and he is able to empower us to give us all that we need. If I can invite the band, a final scripture as we ask this question, are we all right? Hebrews 10 says this, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching not giving up meeting together. When we ask, are we all right? The answer we're looking for is not simply an absence of conflict or an absence of disagreement, because the absence of those things isn't necessarily the sign of a healthy relationship. You know, if a married couple tells you that they never disagree, I'd ask, how often do you speak? <laughs> you know, sometimes we can avoid conflict and confrontation simply by staying withdrawn, by not showing up physically or emotionally. There may not be disagreement, but we're still not all right. And this picture of a spiritual house of living stones were built in together. No house, no wall is built with gaps. You know, in the storm on Friday, some of our ridge tiles came off our roof. Thankfully, no one was hurt. 
We still have some of those tiles. Some are a bit broken, but they're not where they should be. And there's some gaps. And I can tell you we'll be filling those gaps in as soon as we can because no wall and no building stands well or stands strong while it has gaps in its building. For a season, we've had to be distanced in some ways. By the grace of God, He's brought us through that and is continuing to build us together. But we must take stock on how this has impacted us. Most of us have become accustomed to less proximity, less connection, less relational engagement, less meeting together. And as we move forward into a new season, we must respond again to the call of Jesus to be deeply connected together, to be built into a house where God dwells by His Spirit. We may need to re-engage. We may need to re-engage with Sunday Church and come back to the building if you haven't done so yet. For those of us here, maybe to reconnect with a life group or for a fresh season of getting involved on a serving team, just so we can connect and be built in. But God is building a relational house where we're connected and we're growing. We're encouraging one another. And we cannot compromise or cut corners in this area of our relationships. A final brief story. Something happened to me many years ago. It left me very hurt because of somebody's actions. And at the time, I got some help from some church, a church leader, helped me to work through how to forgive and what that meant and what I needed to attend to. And it was helpful. And God worked in me in that season that His grace became very precious to me. But the person who'd hurt me remained in the same church. It was probably a similar sort of size church as this. So I could kind of keep my distance and avoid them. And as an act of self-preservation, I kind of did that. I could see them at a distance, but I didn't have to talk to them. I'd, I guess you could say I'd work through a level of forgiveness. And a few years passed like that. And then once again, Holy Spirit, He came and challenged me about the distance that I maintained with this person and really suggested to me that it didn't need to be there anymore. I was nervous. <laughs> But I talked and journeyed some more with God. And I've got to say, as I did that, I felt some of the pain again of what had happened. And so I asked God for more grace. And I asked Him to help me to be willing to engage with this person, to help me to want to be friendly, because it just wasn't there in me naturally. But the truth is, friends, I did not expect or prepare myself for what God did in my heart. Because just a few weeks later, I was in a park. Uh, my children must have been quite small. It was the middle of the day. I was not expecting to bump into this person, but I saw them completely unexpectedly out of the blue. And I found myself overwhelmingly pleased to see them. I wanted to go and hug them. I found in myself a desire to make sure they knew that I was pleased to see them. Don't think I realized in the moment, but afterwards as I reflected on what had happened to me, I realized that in response to my simple broken prayer, God had deposited something of his own heart for that person in my heart. And when I saw them, I loved them. It didn't really make sense to me. But I opened my heart up to the grace of God and it completely changed what was there. I live in a different city now. I don't see that person very often, but occasionally when I go back, I will see them amongst some other people. And it is always a source of joy to see them in a slightly peculiar way to me. Friends, if we open up our hearts to God, His love and His grace are available to help us. Because we're living stones and it's part of what He's doing is building us together in relationship to build a house in which He dwells by your spirit. So we have to ask, are we all right?
We must attend to our relational health with others. Do we need to put down some offering that we're on with and go and attend to being reconciled if we can? If you do go, go just the two of you. Apologize, say sorry, forgive or start to be forgive. Be present with others, but let's move on to make sure that we are all right. Let's go in humility, knowing that Jesus will give us everything that we need. I wonder if we might stand together and pray before we worship together again. Father, it is such a privilege to be part of the house that you are building. We thank you that you empower us and have given us everything that we need. We come to you this morning as living stones. We thank you that you inhabit the spaces between us. We say sorry that sometimes we struggle. We say sorry where our pride gets in the way and we say, please help us. After the last two years of being distanced, help us again to build the relationships of your house that we might be all right with one another, that you might be able to build us together, that you might dwell in us as we do so. Holy Spirit, please come and help us. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us to open our hearts to your mighty grace so we can walk in the beauty and the wonder of all that you have for us and you would truly be able to dwell here in our midst. We ask for your honor and for your glory. Amen. Let's worship together, friends.